God of all machines. God that meshes good and evil. Accept this blood of my blood. Welcome to Now Playing's The Mangler Movie Retrospective Series. And I am investigating a laundry machine with a bad case of demon possession. A part of the Now Playing Stephen King Podcast Review Series. Good things will come. Hosted by Jacob. My hero. Stuart. If I let you do this, do you promise to stop killing people? And Arnie. If you're not careful, you'll end up like me. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. My God, who art thou? Cursed be thy name. Fuck you. Listener discretion is advised. Time's a waste. Tick tock, tick tock, tick. <laughs> Today we're discussing The Mangler, starring Robert Englund. Ted Levine, Daniel Matmore, Jeremy Crutchley, Vanessa Pike, an ice machine, a sheet folder, <laughs> a large ironing machine. <laughs> Quaking in my boots, Stuart in L.A. I never said who I am. Uh, well, they know. You're the one that's going to defend this awful piece of shit. <laughs> I'm Arnie, the co-host of Now Playing, who has a crush on you. This is Jacob, and remember, first there's God, then there's country, then podcasting. The rest is bullshit. So here we are at a trilogy of films based on a 15-page short story. (laughs) Question, right off the bat. (laughs) It's bad if you're asking questions before we even get to the star. (laughs) Graveyard Shift and The Mangler, same short story? I mean, they're both got big machines in them. Stephen King didn't do two stories about textile machines, did he? Yes. In fact, Stephen King worked at a textile mill. So he's got, like, a whole slew of these things, like, ready to go. And he worked at a laundromat. So these are both based off of shit jobs he held when he was an undergraduate or a high school student. Did he ever work at a 7-Eleven? I'd like to hear about a killer Slurpee machine. (laughs) It's coming. It's called Maximum Overdrive. I think it is going to happen. And Tommy Knockers had a killer vending machine. Yes. I do feel like anything that comes in contact with Stephen King, and by that I mean, like, literally anything, like a piece of paper or something, can be mangled into some new horror here. He probably has a story about a killer paper cut. I really think that he would write about anything, which is fine. That's great. Creative genius, go write your stories. Don't publish them all. And by God, don't make every single one into a movie. The crime of the mangler is they're taking the absolute worst story in the Night Shift collection. This has no business being adapted. This should be promptly forgotten. It's an embarrassment. I mocked it as a kid, and I can't even believe adults would fund and make an adaptation in the 1990s. Why, Arnie? Do you have any reason why Toby Hooper and a post-Freddy Krueger Robert England would sign on to this? Well, Robert England, post-Freddy, is kind of one of those guys who he says sometimes he works for the art and sometimes he works for the paycheck. <laughs> I'll just go out and say already to preview, this is by absolutely no means the worst Robert England film I've ever seen. Really? Yeah. There's like 2,000 maniacs where he plays uh, 
cannibalistic southerner. It is just abysmal. With Lynn Shea, no less. His Nightmare on Elm Street pseudo-co-star. Yeah, Robert England has done some utter crap. I know because I used to say, ooh, Robert England's in that, and go and seek it out. And I have ceased doing that, which is why I've never seen The Mangler. <laughs> I mean, this was after the point that I'd given up on Robert England having any sort of artistic integrity. And this is coming from a fan. Wait, wait, wait. This, you've never seen it until now? Correct. This is my first time. I'm a Mangler virgin, baby. Wow. Two of mm. us. A three, make it three. Yeah, and you know, I don't need to remind people, Poltergeist being one of my favorite movies of childhood and still holds up, still think it's a great movie. I've enjoyed a few Toby Hooper works. Hell, I didn't think Salem's Lot TV movie was that bad, but damn, what the hell happened to him? Well, as far as why they made this movie, this was a property bought by a man named Milton Sabowski, and he was buying up Stephen King properties. He had bought The Lawnmower Man, Maximum Overdrive, or Trucks, as the original story was called, and he had bought this with the intent initially of making a trilogy of evil <laughs> machine movies. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I can see that. That's what that would be, yes. <laughs> he was thinking like a short anthology, but instead, after Lawnmower Man, he just held on to these rights and decided he'd make them each their own. And so the way Toby Hooper got involved was separate. He had, on his own, contacted King and said, Hey, I really like this Mangler story. I have some ideas here for a way to adapt it that will be completely faithful to your original story in every way possible. And so King and Hooper kind of worked together on this, and then they found out this other guy had the rights, so they got with him, and he's like, okay, Toby Hooper, let's do this. So the Mangler was born, and with Toby Hooper's name and Stephen King actively engaged in early pre-production of this, they got a couple of big stars. I mean, obviously Robert Englund is the biggest, but I am not going to rule out Ted Levine, a man who I'm a huge fan of, both because of Silence of the Lambs and the TV show Monk. Is this the guy that talks like Coach Hayden Fox? Who puts the lotion in the basket. <laughs> okay. He, he, apparently that's just his voice then. He wasn't acting in Silence of the Lambs? It is seems to be a voice that he's carried with him in other performances. Whether it's affected or not, I can't say. But I did know somebody that worked for him, and they said he was uh, an awfully nice guy. I think it's his real voice. I mean, if he affected that voice, he used it in over 200 episodes of Monk. Okay, I've never watched it, so... It's a little bit deepened in Silence of the Lambs with the, I'd fuck me. But, no, this, I think, is his real voice. If it's not, he is, like, method. Yeah, again, this is what builds questions. You make Silence of the Lambs, you make Freddy Krueger an icon, you make Poltergeist and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and you all combine to make <laughs> this? I just, I was stunned. The shocker for me was that this was released in theaters. There were 800 theaters that played prints of this movie in early 1995. I had no idea that this existed probably for a decade after it was made. I'm on the same page. By 95, I was so much into kind of the pseudo-indie film movement with Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino and those kinds of films. I had stopped reading Fangoria. I'd watch horror films, but I wouldn't really seek them out as much. 
And the first time I heard of The Mangler had to be 98 or 99 when I was at a video store and saw Robert Englund on the cover and went, oh, I'm not watching that. I honestly thought I would die without seeing The Mangler. <laughs> a life well lived. But no, there, it, some people saw it made $2 million. The article I read said a disappointing gross. I'm like, I can't believe they suckered people out of $2 million for this. I was stunned to know that this was a theatrical release. But yeah, you know what? This was right before Scream. Horror movies were very uncool. It was all about serial killers and... and psychological thrillers at this point. So I can't imagine that there were too many people looking for even a, a credible slasher movie. How they thought they could make a washing machine the next Freddy Krueger, well, I guess we should talk about it. Arnie, why don't you give him the plot and we can get into it. Okay, but don't confuse the early parts of this plot with last week's graveyard shift because <laughs> there are some similarities. Very much so, yes. Working conditions at the Blue Ribbon Laundry Service are not the best. <laughs> I think that is a cut-and-paste job you're doing, Arnie. All right. <laughs> With owner Bill Gartley, played by Robert Englund, watching from his catwalk, yelling at floor manager George Stanner to work the employees until they bleed. With all the moving chains and contraptions, it looks like a workman's comp nightmare. <laughs> sure enough, it just takes Gartley's niece Sherry to cut herself on the giant sheet press and folding machine to set off a chain of events. Her virgin blood hits both the laundry press and an ice machine being carried by two bumbling workers across the crowded laundry floor. Yeah, see, it makes sense. It's not the washing machine that's possessed. It's the ice box. <laughs> Later that day, kindly old Adele Frawley is working the machine when she drops her antacids. Reaching towards the press to get them, she's sucked in and killed. I should hit the mute button during this because I am not going to be able to get through this recitation of the plot without mocking laughter. Woo. Oh. God, this thing. Mangler is right. This is just deformed. <laughs> the death is investigated by Officer John Hunton, played by Ted Levine, but his investigative efforts are quickly overruled by the town judge and sheriff who are presumed to be in Gartley's pocket. They declare the plant safe and it reopens for work. But Hunton is not so sure, and his dead wife's brother, Mark, believes the laundry machine may be possessed by a demon. <laughs> the, the plot summary so funny, even the mute button can't hold back the laughter. <laughs> when a little boy and several birds are killed, suffocated in the ice machine, Hunton attacks it with a sledgehammer, and they see spiritual spectral energy rise from the ice machine. It turns out the laundry machine, the titular mangler, is demon-possessed. And Gartley, as well as the judge and sheriff, have all lost a finger or other body part to the machine. But in exchange, they are immortal. But for their own immortality, they'll age but they won't die, so long as they feed the machine virgins on their 16th birthday. Gartley planned to feed it his niece Sherry as well. Gartley's other niece and his lover, Lynn Sue, loses her finger to the machine, and now she's part of the cabal that worships the mangler. Hutton and Mark go to perform an exorcism on the large ironing machine <laughs> and find Sherry about to be sacrificed. They fight with Lynn Sue and Gartley, and both are killed when thrown into parts of the mangler. Completing the ritual, the exorcism seems to work until they realize Adele's antacids actually made the creature stronger. <laughs> <laughs> I think Daffy Duck is on the call. <laughs> oh my god! 
this, three adults are credited with the script. I would expect more from my eight-year-old nephew. And the mangler morphs into a mobile machine of terror, killing Mark and chasing Hunton and Sherry down an endless staircase. Sherry decides to sacrifice herself and runs towards the machine, but Hunton stops her and she only loses a finger. The two fall into a sewer and the mangler crashes down after them, seemingly stopped. But the loss of a finger has made Sherry one with the mangler, an heiress to her uncle's laundry empire. She has now <laughs> taken up his perch as the immortal slave driver watching over the workers who feeds sheets into the mangler as credits roll. And there's some <laughs> other stuff, including a cancer-ridden crime scene photographer. <laughs> but we'll get into it. I just have to state right off the bat. You guys are laughing at this, and I think that is totally right. This movie is funny. This movie has to be intentional comedy. You guys are laughing in derisive laughter as if somebody on production was taking this seriously. I think this movie has its tongue firmly planted in its cheek. I totally disagree. They are playing this shockingly straight. Other than England's performance, they aren't making this a funny, campy thing. I, I have no choice but to believe that we're expected to think this this is Linda Blair meets the Maytag repairman. <laughs> you know what, Arnie? I, th- I think they were maybe trying to attempt humor. I don't think they take the farce far enough. This should be a send-up of horror films, of bad horror films. It, it should be more absurd. They play it too straight. I don't think they took the joke far enough for me. Yeah, if there is comedy here, this is as bad comedy as it is horror and suspense. It's garbage. I mean, no. We're laughing at this thing because it's pitiful. However they want to sell it, I'm not buying. Well, let's kind of go through this, because I do think this is a movie, unlike last week's, that deserves a little bit more. God knows more happens in this movie. I mean, the last one was just a lot of people sitting around talking. But when it starts, I did get graveyard shift flashbacks. I mean, another factory, another giant machine, another slew of workers that look like they just stepped out of Apple's 1984 Macintosh ad. (laughs) Yeah, and I want to say I've had a few odd jobs in my life. I have worked a laundry room for three days in a hospital. And I'm here to tell you this would not pass. What they're presenting here is more like a boiler room. Like there's water leaking over everything. The machines are rusted and corroded. No, if you want things clean, the place is pristine. It's sterile. There are tile floors. There is fluorescent lighting everywhere. It is white purity. There is none of this like Nightmare Boiler Room Freddy universe kind of crap. My sheets, when I go to the Hilton, they're not smooth because they got a big old machine like this, do they? This cannot be how they wash my bed sheets when I stay at a hotel. Yeah, those machines are real, and it's actually a funny story. I talk about it a bit on Books and Nachos. King is a second-generation sheet feeder. His mother did it, and then he did it after he got out of college, and his boss there lost two hands to the machine. This is kind of a one-stop shopping. It apparently does everything. It steam cleans, it presses, it folds, it mangles. It. I, <laughs> I don't know what this device is. There's nothing like this. 
in the place that I work. Now, admittedly, it wasn't my profession. I didn't go on and, and evaluate other laundry rooms, but I'm just here to call bullshit on the whole spectacle of this environment to begin with. This place would not clean a single thing with as much dirt and filth as surrounding these working conditions. I will say I hope not because they mentioned that they're cleaning sheets for the hospital. And yeah. so if you have, like, as one person later in this movie will, third degree burns, I would not want to be on sheets that came out of this and risk whatever got on those sheets getting into my open sores. No. They're trying to set a mood here, and I get that. They want to create uh, a scary environment. Yeah, that this is a taskmaster, slave master that's forcing all of these women to work heavy machinery that could kill them and crush them at any given moment. It's not truth, but that's the world that they're painting here. Yeah, and I did know this mangler machine was created by Toby Hooper's son. He completely envisioned it and was in charge of all of the practical and computer effects for it, so... I didn't think this was actually a real machine, unlike Christine or something like that. Yeah, there's a real disconnect between this machine, this environment, Robert England's character, Gartley, like he's got these big metal braces and he's more machine than man at that point. And is this supposed to be like Sinclair's The Jungle? Uh, expose on the blue ribbon laundry mat business? It's just so weird to think that this is supposed to be in 1995, but they're working in conditions from the 1800s. Now, I will actually say there are some people with some unique uh, physical attributes like England working in these environments. Uh, that's not totally out of place here. I, I can't admit to that. But no, this is all very absurd. And, and at the risk of sounding racially insensitive, I also just want to say it's really crazy to me that it's like all white women working in this environment. That is not my experience. And it makes it very hard to keep track of who's who. They all look the same. They're all teenagers. These blonde teenagers that are staffing these machines? This is... Well, they're not all. I mean, there's the old lady, Adele. Yeah, there's one. There's one old lady, and then everyone else looks like they ought to be working at the soda shop or something here. This is not a job you do after school, but these are 15, 16-year-old girls working these heavy-duty machines. I know for a fact, working in the printing business, and we had cutters and that... There are OSHA laws. You, you couldn't have someone under 18 operating certain machines in a print factory, much less this mangler. Yeah, no, this is, uh, again, I wonder why the choice was to have this uniformly white, young, I guess this is supposed to be attractive. Are we supposed to think that these women are hot? They're okay. I mean, they're, they're fine-ish. I don't think that they're all that young. Honestly, though, even the one who we're told is 15, that was a stunner. I mean, that's like one of those you wake up the morning after and go, you're in high school? I'm going to have 20 years in prison now kind of moments because <laughs> I thought she was mid-20s, maybe even late 20s. Well, the actress is, but yeah, it's all this garbled plot about virgin sacrifice at the age of 16 that we're going to learn is some tradition of Robert England's here. All of that, whatever that is, is the invention of these screenwriters. That is not in the King story at all. There is no real excuse given for while the mangler goes crazy other than it tastes blood. Right. And here, that's what I think we're seeing in the opening scene. When there's the bumbling people with the ice machine... And and there's the girl who I don't know is a virgin is got her hand cut and there's blood and blood goes on the machine and lightning is hastily animated on the scene. <laughs> I really think we are seeing the birth of the mangler. I mean, I know what movie I'm in. I know I'm in a 
evil washing machine movie. So I thought this was what makes him evil. And in the Stephen King story, which I read after watching this, it is. But here, oh no, we later find out the Mangler has been demon-possessed for, what, about a hundred years or more. Is it? I honestly... I guess it was bought in the 50s, maybe? Okay, help me out. There are three things that happen that make it turn psychopathic. Before this day, we can all agree that nobody was falling into the machines. There were people being sacrificed to the machines, but it was not actively killing people. Correct. What makes it have a sentient presence, what makes it decide, I'm going to chomp on this old bitch, is three things. An icebox happens to be carted by that is demon-possessed. No. That's what I thought. I thought that the icebox had some demon that yes, it does transfer to the no. mangler. No, yes. I no, no. The mangler transfers its demon <laughs> part of it to the icebox. The icebox was a perfectly ordinary icebox. What? Yes. A perfectly ordinary icebox from 1903. Right. I thought because it was older, that meant that that's what had the spirit, and that the lightning comes from it. Right. It's hard to tell. It's but. really hard to tell, but. No, with the virgin blood, because you saw the bloody handprint on the icebox, and the contact with the mangler, the virgin blood on the mangler and the icebox, the icebox turned evil. And I thought we were seeing the mangler turned evil. It was really a what moment later in the movie when I find out the mangler's been evil for decades. Right, and the mangler is not fully formed yet, because it also needs, we'll learn about the spells and incantations that can cause a machine to be possessed. It needs nightshade. It needs an ingredient that is actually in the antacids. It is not until the pills get dumped into the machine a good ten minutes later that the spell would be complete. Right, and we think it's the virgin blood. I thought the kickoff was the icebox, then you add some virgin blood, throw in some antacids, and voila. (laughs) That was my recipe for the witchcraft of the washing machine. Now, that's the recipe for the witchcraft of the icebox, but we find out from Robert England long after that, all right, I'm going to give you a total point of reference, Stuart, that should make perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Friday the 13th, the series. Mm-hmm. Every week, the two cousin lovers went out to hunt down a curious good that their uncle had sold because he had a pact with the devil and the devil would curse the item, right? Yeah, cursed antiques. Every week we find a different knickknack that's doing a different thing to somebody. And they were sometimes silly, sometimes a little horrific. I mean, it could be a Cupid statue, it could be a comic book, but there would be some curse to it. Here, this is just an episode from that series, a series I enjoyed, by the way, where the cursed good is this. We later see Robert England pull out this contract that I have to believe is a deal with Satan, where he made a pact and the mangler makes him immortal and they've been feeding it virgins for a long, long time. So it's in all of this, we realize the mangler has always been evil. It's the antacids that make it homicidal. <laughs> You do realize I would say in this conversation. Yes, I agree. Like, (laughs) I would, you know, if you were my child saying this to me, I would spank you and send you to your room. This is not an explanation for how this happens. This is a lie that someone crazy would make up. But yes, we're expected to believe this. 
But again, I take it in that vein of Friday the 13th, the series, where if you're going to watch a movie about a killer washing machine, you just better take a fucking tablespoon of sugar to let it go down a little easier, because if you're going in kicking and screaming the whole way, and I'll admit, I kind of went into this kicking and screaming a little, that you're just not going to be able to enjoy the campy fun vibe that's going on here. I, you're right. Uh, you're not. I don't get any fun vibe off of this. <laughs> I don't think this is funny. When I think of horror comedy, I think about Return of the Living Dead. I think about Sam Raimi. I think of somebody that gives us over-the-top violence and winks at us. I don't see other than England. Obviously, he's doing a silly bit. It's almost like something in a different movie. I don't get a sense that when the Mangler attacks, and let me tell you, every time it's on screen, it attacks. <laughs> I don't get a sense that those moments are supposed to be hilarious. When the hose breaks off of it and burns the three women, I think we're supposed to be mortified. I yes. don't think we're supposed to be laughing. No, no. The comedy is in the concept and in certain parts. But in this way, it's kind of like Scream, where you're laughing at certain parts, but yet the strung-up Drew Barrymore is actually horrific. Now, this has nothing near as scary as anything in Scream. You think? But if you look at schlocky horror films from the period, what it does have is a healthy abundance of gore. Every time somebody goes in the mangler, I mean, it starts off, the first person to go in, Adele, Ted Levine is throwing up. We don't even get to see her until she's a bloated corpse. They do show her, like, taking it, they put, like, a bucket in the ambulance, which I oh, think is right. kind of funny. Yeah, you see? It's, I mean, they're making these jokes that play to its base horror audience if you've watched so many of these horror films this is i think a precursor to like the hatchet series where you're just going to get this over the top gore they know what you're here for this is an unrated dvd this actually i did get to see the r-rated cut and the only difference is gore i watched both cuts so it is here to give the horror fan the gruesome kills and a good laugh at the fact that it's a fucking washing machine. Here's the problem, though. Okay, that's the laugh. Ha ha, it's a washing machine. It's a folder. It's a whatever this thing is. Okay, move on. That's funny for one time. To, to base a whole movie around a killer washing machine, that joke's going to get older than any SNL skit does. <laughs> Yeah, I don't see that anyone's getting the joke. The cop you mentioned, Ted Levine, I don't get that he's winking at the audience. When he's actually sickened and starts taking the antacids that the dead woman had, I don't get the sense that that's supposed to be hilarious. I think we're supposed to agree this is a frightening, repulsive thing to be looking at. I think it's trying to split that difference. It's trying to repulse you, but also it's got a little bit of a winking nod. And I do get a lot of that from the performance Robert Englund gives. Now, Englund, I said I've seen a lot of his shit. I have. Sometimes I think the director just can't control his performance. And I don't know if in this is one of those cases where Robert Englund is going to do what Robert Englund's going to do. And he's been Freddy seven times, so fuck you. Or... If this is the performance Toby was instructing him to give, and it is the wink to the audience, hey, look at how silly all this is. When you've got the old woman going in, and he's going, hell's bells, Adele, and all that stuff, it is funny. No, it's, maybe it's supposed to be funny. I'm not laughing, though. It's just way too campy for me. 
I think this conversation is a sequel to our discussion of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. If you're saying anything here is funny, I'm saying it's not. I didn't laugh once at this movie. And I think you're giving it too much credit to say that everything that's ridiculous about it was intended. I mean, it does kind of move on. I was trying to figure this out. And it, admittedly, on my very first watching of this, I was really confused where it was going and what the tone of this movie was. Mm. Mm-hmm. For at least the first hour. Because you do have Levine, who is playing it very straight. And he's the good guy in this, you know? Weird, weird, yeah. I don't understand that choice at all. Yeah, there's this one, and there's the Steve Zahn movie where he plays the homicidal trucker. You know, I'm used to him being the bad guys of this, but he was in the remake of The Hills Have Eyes. I think he was in the sequel of it, actually, as the good father. And here he's the good cop, the only good cop in a corrupt town. And I was trying to figure out exactly his personal story because he's all upset about something and he keeps hanging out with this guy named Mark. And I'm honestly like, are these guys gay lovers? Because Mark, (laughs) I'm getting a real like Russell Brand type vibe off this guy with his hair and his new age stuff. And he's hair like Russell Brand. I mean, it's just long hair. (laughs) Yeah, Russell Brand is British. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, no, it's more than long hair. It's also this kind of effervescent quality he has. I mean, I realize there's no British accent. And the fact that he's, like, sitting around with Officer Hunton and going, you haven't eaten very much, are you well? I'm like, I'm really confused what their relationship is. It turns out, I I guess, they're brothers-in-law. Like, Hunton's- There's a dead wife. Yeah. Much like Graveyard Shift. There was a wife in Ted Levine's life, and she's no more. We don't know why. It's not really that important, other than to give this character a little- little tragedy to his backstory that said it's completely perplexing that he keeps mark around for the rest of the investigation that he keeps going back to the guy after he suggests that this machine might be haunted why on earth would you take him on your case at that point we never see a moment where ted levine challenges the absurdity of what's being presented he does he does indeed when It's Mark who says, have you ever thought that this machine might be haunted? Ted Levine laughs him off and he persists. And then he's eventually taken along because he's done the research. He's the demonologist of the crew. So you've got a cop and a ghost hunter teaming up to fight a demon. I mean, laughing off means get off my fucking lawn. Don't ever come over here anymore. No, that's being insulting. This guy's just like, no, that's a crazy thing to say, but I'm still friends with you. Right, and then the guy's like, oh, I didn't mean haunted, I meant possessed, and he's like, oh, okay. (laughs) I'm telling you, this relationship is beyond crazy. It was bad on the page, too. I want to say that Mark is not developed at all as a character on the page. He's a friend of a cop, and he comes to this crazy notion, and yeah, they try to turn him into a Berkeley graduate student college boy that studied myth and legend and demonology, and also happened to have worked the laundromat at Berkeley. I mean, it's it's all ridiculous, all the backstory that Mark is supposed to intuit and help process for this cop. This cop does no investigation. He basically just has Mark along to tell him at every given moment that this is a case of demon possession of a washing machine. And I think I actually went with Mark because I knew that Stephen King worked at a laundromat when he was an undergrad, and I just saw this as like a Stephen King representative on screen like an English major who would know a lot about mythology, but had to pay his way through college. 
Well, he lost me when he said that there were witches that were burned 10 miles from here. I was at Salem. No woman was burned at Salem. So he's not a very good student if he is. They were all hung. Now you're getting technical. Yeah, well, imagine that. <laughs> Wanting some facts. No, let's go along with this absurdity. You, you want facts on the machine about the possessed refrigerator? <laughs> I would like an explanation that would withstand something. Yes, I would. But there is none to be had here from Mark or anybody. This is patent absurdity. And unlike Arnie, I don't think it's a funny absurdity at all. No, again, I think these are all failed attempts at humor. I see Mark. He's, you know, this philosophizing hippie. He's talking about, I don't know, existentialism or something while Johnny's trying to eat a steak. And I think we're supposed to get yucks out of this. But no, it's it's the wrong kind of yuck for me. Now, there is a subplot that I just don't quite follow. And maybe you guys can help me out, or maybe you guys are just going to cross your arms and go, yep, it's shit. But I'll bring it up and see what you say. Yep, it's shit. <laughs> yeah. No mystery there. You're going to talk about the crime photographer. I am you? going to talk about the crime <laughs> photographer. Because when Ted Levine goes to these crime scenes, this crime photographer is taking pictures of the body with this 1920s camera with the bellows <laughs> and the giant flash bulb. And then he takes pictures of Ted Levine. And because they've already mentioned the judge and the sheriff are in cahoots with Gartley, I think that this photographer is going to be setting up Hunton and that, like, he's taking pictures to show Hunton having a breakdown and going to have his badge pulled before he can stop the mangler. But it turns out we find out, like, an hour into the movie that these two are old friends and they were card-playing buddies and Hunton kind of pulled away from him and has left JJJ Picture Man to die. All right, first of all, JJJ Picture Man, and he's a photographer, and he's covered for reasons unknown in heavy latex. This is not a performance done without stuff on his face. I thought this was England. I thought Robert England was in this part, and I was trying to figure out why Gartley would have a doppelganger on the police force. So already lost it in the woods with the way that they present this character. I also thought that he was only in the imagination of the cop because no one else seems to see this guy. No one else seems to respond to this guy all the way until his end where he's lying on a gurney talking about how he drank some hot tea and is now bleeding to death. I have no idea why this character is in this movie. It is absolute craziness. And this movie did not need a smidge more craziness. Yeah, I, I was actually having flashbacks to Jude Law's character in Road to Perdition, that photographer that goes around filming dead bodies. And I'm like, why does this guy just show up randomly? Like, he seems to have access to everything. It, yeah, I you, it you might a- be right. He might be a ghost, and he's just able to float in anywhere. Yes. Yeah, that was my sense, is that he's from some earlier case that we never find out about. That maybe on some draft of this script, there was a reveal where we find out who he was, and it just didn't make the final cut here. But I suspected that this was an early case of Ted Levine that was not really happening in real time. And yeah, it is a little confusing that they have this actor under heavy prosthetics. I found out by looking at IMDb, the same actor plays the young mortician later. So I have no idea why they made that choice instead Mm. of going with an old actor. It's important to mention this. There is no director's commentary here, and despite doing some publicity for this, Toby Hooper doesn't really have a very good relationship with this film. He walked away from filming, and the producer, Avant Singh, finished this film. 
God, does he ever finish a movie? Man, I feel like Spielberg, people are always stepping in for Toby Hooper. Yeah, so for whatever reason, Toby Hooper did a large portion of the shooting but didn't see this film to completion. But it's kind of like that Prometheus thing where we wonder why Guy Pierce is under all that latex makeup and in an earlier cut, an earlier draft that would have actually made some sense. Here, I'm in that same boat. I'm like, why did you not just hire an old man? Yeah, we don't need any of this stuff. We don't need any scenes that aren't involved with the laundromat here, that they have this subplot where they're tailing the icebox, that we see the bumbling delivery guys take it to Mrs. Smith's yard, drop it off, and then it starts eating children and birds. There was a mention in the King story about a case where a child was found in a refrigerator, but there was no attempt to link the demon in the washing machine with the demon in that refrigerator. It was just meant to provide a case history for this kind of thing. I can't believe that we're expected to believe that there's a demon hopping around in all of these appliances. This I do know a little bit behind is that they wanted to try to stay to what King had written, but they did need to flesh this out to a 90-minute movie, so they added the killer refrigerator subplot. And this is what convinces Ted Levine there's actually ghosts, is when this machine tries to take his arm, and he goes after it with a sledgehammer, and then 1984 Ghostbusters effects explode out. No, no, no. This is almost shot for shot from Poltergeist. This is Toby Hooper doing exactly what he's done before. This is the scene where the realtor looks up and the house gets sucked into a void. This is uh, that light show. It is carbon copy, Poltergeist. But I love the fact that he asks for a hammer and the woman brings him a sledgehammer. (laughs) Again, I don't think this is supposed to be funny, but it's just so the incompetence all around the way he's attacking this refrigerator. Just it's just so silly, not in a funny ha ha. This is a slapstick humor type way. Just this is silly. This is childish and stupid. And why am I watching this? Ed Wood is what I'm thinking about at this point. Ed Wood did not know that he was making a terrible movie. They, he thought that he was just making that something that was kind of crazy and, and fun and new. I feel like I'm watching a modern day Ed Wood movie here. I think so too. And, but I wonder if there's a little bit more intent behind it. And yeah, Ed Wood has its fans as well. Yeah, no, I'm not saying that everyone will hate this movie. Just anyone I know. <laughs> not anyone, but we'll get there. But sticking with the washing machine, since that allegedly, according to you, Arnie, is the source of all of this problem and really perpetuated by Gartley, Robert England. I think they figured if they got Robert England in here, they need to make him the central bad guy. So, yes, there's this other strange subplot about how he's taken a prostitute under his wing and is trying to shape her into being a part of his cult. He wants her to be his bride, I guess, in eternity. Now, what's really confusing to me is she's also his niece. No. Yes. Are you sure? I was Lin- so no, no, confused. No. At one point, I thought that, but I'm like, he's banging her. Can't be his niece. It's all these white women. That's I'm telling you, it's a real problem. <laughs> I can't tell who's who, but I think the niece is always being referred to as Sherry, the virgin that bleeds. There's two nieces. That's the confusion. What? Yeah, because here's what I know, is that at one point, they're talking about his niece, and she calls him Uncle Bill, and he tells her to go wash up. And then comes the seduction scene where she invites him in to watch her wash. So I'm like, okay, Lynn Sue is the niece. 
is that uncle uncle or is that like well, you're like who's your daddy uncle <laughs> i wondered if it was a who's your daddy uncle but i did some googling other people have called her his niece in their online reporting so i'm not the only one who's interpreting that Bill Gartley has a couple of nieces, one of whom he's fucking. It's a doppelganger thing. There's two nieces. One's a whore, one's a virgin. Right. They hate each other. We know that. We saw that in the early introductory scene at the plant is that Sherry the Virgin kind of sneers. When the new girl, Lynn Sue, is trying to be nice to her, she blows her off. We're wondering what that tension is. I get the sense that she's being displaced. That her uncle is spending more time with this girl. Maybe she he is calling her a niece, but I don't think that it's biological. I didn't get that sense. And any way you slice it, it really makes any difference. At the end of the day, for whatever reason, one girl is going to be sacrificed so that the other one can live forever. And that's kind of an unexpected thing. When Lin Su loses her finger, I'm wondering what's going on. Because she'd slept with Gartley, and then Gartley is standing up on his catwalk... And Lin Su is getting attacked by the Mangler. And again, I'm kind of getting shades of graveyard shift. I'm like, is he now wanting to fire her because he fucked her? Is he going to feed her to the Mangler? What's going on? It's also she can lose a finger and become part of the group because there's a little bit of me in the Mangler and a little bit of the Mangler in me. So if you get eaten, some part of you gets chomped on by the Mangler, but not your whole body, you could become immortal. But Sherry, who got her hand cut at the beginning, isn't immortal. This gets very confusing. If you lose a limb to it, not only can you become immortal if you worship it and feed it virgins, but you also lose a bit of your soul. And we see this transformation with Lin Su, because after she loses her finger, she doesn't feel like herself. She is starting to get these feelings. That's what makes Gartley such an asshole, is this demon is in him. So he was a nice guy at what? I I don't I'm going to stop asking. Yeah, I, I really feel like this is making Silver Shamrock look like a credible <laughs> institution of <laughs> horror here. I mean, this is completely invented for this movie. If it was for comedic effect, it's failing. If it's for nefarious, satirical effect on the washing machine industry, it's failing. <laughs> if it's supposed to have me quaking in my boots, it's failing. There's in no way, shape or form, can I see why this would be constitute as entertainment. I, I cannot imagine why anyone would want to endure any more of this. Halfway into this movie, I want to run screaming from the room. Yeah, I was trying to put some kind of satire in here. None of it would work. None of it wanted mm. to fit. None of it would fold nicely with clean creases. I mean, is this a send-up of capitalism and poor working condition? It, just none of it works, though. It's just a mess. Yeah, I don't even want to read that term paper, Jacob. If you wrote it, I would throw it in the <laughs> trash. This does not deserve consideration, quite frankly. They haven't done a good enough job at any of it for me to try to do any work in deconstructing it. They didn't deconstruct it. How can I deconstruct it? This is a mess that, as you admit, Arnie, was made by several different people that came in and out of the production. And I'm also going to admit that a lot of the story is poorly told. I'm going to state that right up front. I mean, I, we're all kind of a little confused. Is Are there two nieces? If there aren't two nieces, it is really bad to start using Uncle Sexy Talk. And I'm also really confused because I didn't catch this that antacids had 
<laughs> the mythological ingredient to make yeah. the demon more powerful because this, this was in the film. I did not get this. I yeah, didn't watch it twice it's, like you, Arnie. But it is confusing as fuck. But they do this exorcism, and this is what I think is the climax of the movie. And you get Hunton and Mark going there, and we get the big action scene, and Stanner is there, and his arm's caught, and they have to cut off the arm to save his life. A, a wonderfully gory scene. The guy can't bring himself to do it and has to hack off the arm. And then, of course, we get our poetic justice end. Lin Su and Gartley were supposed to be made immortal by the Mangler. Mark, I think he's blinded, doesn't even realize he's throwing Lin Su right into the Mangler and she's killed. And it's almost like Superman 3 with Gartley because Hunton punches him and it's like the Mangler reaches out and grabs him just like the computer in Superman 3 and brings him into the folder and folds him in a awesomely gory death. I'll agree with you there. That That is the, I think, one scene that I kind of enjoyed in this film is when he was getting folded up like a sheet. I can't believe you're getting into this. I can't believe anyone would get Stuart, into this. Stuart, it's one scene. I'm giving it one scene. I, I mean, any of you. I mean, Arnie particularly. <laughs> the enthusiasm. The fact that he's using words like wonderful are are stunning to me. Nothing here is wonderful. Saying it's like Superman 3. Yeah, exactly. I just, it's like I, I'm going crazy. Yeah, you are. I don't know what happened to you. You've lost your mind. If you can't go along with this, you are not the same steward who introduced me to Friday the 13th, the series. That series was not ever this disjointed. Never. Yes. Even in its worst episode. I watched it recently. It was. No, well, I'm not going back to take a look. It really wasn't that good of a TV series, but I watched it because it was horror and it was on free, but come on. You know, if your best compliment that it's like an episode of Friday the 13th, the series, I think it's a low bar. And I don't think it's meeting that bar. That's the crazy thing here. I can't believe that you would say anything here was good. Nothing here is good. The gore is great. I guess. Really, I feel like I could throw some chuck meat into a grinder and film it, and it would be about as aesthetically pleasing. I mean, oh, come on, you'd have to put Robert Englund inside that gore, and the I'm chuck cool meat. with that actually. After this <laughs> film, but all right, so so this antacid. That's what I because I actually wrote down in my notes. I'm like, machine blows up because of antacid. No, it comes to life. Like, so I did notice the antacid played some part. I just don't know why. Yeah, I wasn't sure what exactly was going on because they perform their exorcism and they think the demon is banished, right? They think it's over. And then they sit down and Hunton has been taking antacids this whole time because he has a bad stomach and he ran out. And when he was visiting Adele in the morgue, he's looking through her personal belongings as an investigation finds the antacids and starts taking those. And so when he gives Mark some, Mark realizes, looks at these and goes, we're in trouble. And he says another term, and this is a term that I didn't catch immediately. He said Belladonna. And I'm like, what are they talking about? And I'm thinking, is it because they're using antacids they stole from a dead woman and they are cursed or what is it it turns out in one of his monologues earlier mark mentions nightshade is an ingredient that makes demons more powerful and so 
if you'd re- caught that line, which was in the middle of a lot of lines about various types of demons and rituals, then if you also, you know, turned on the subtitles to see what Mark was saying there, you'd realize it was the antacids fed to the mangler that made it more powerful. Yeah, I got that. That was, I got that when he said it initially. I thought that that was what made the mangler the mangler is when it ate her antacids. It didn't kill anybody until she dumped the pills in there. I thought that that was what made it complete. Virgin blood, evil refrigerator (laughs) electricity, and then this. It was a, it was a one, two, three recipe. I always thought it was the virgin blood. And this was in King's original short story, all this antacid stuff. But they changed the origin a bit. They had some lightning. And I hadn't read the short story when I was watching the movie. So I would, this movie confused the shit out of me with all of this. Yeah, but there's no virgin blood here. And technically speaking, you would need virgin blood and these pills to make it come back. They, right, Who right. was the virgin? Robert England? I don't think so. No, the no. Hooker? I'm, no. I'm saying I thought at the beginning of the movie the virgin blood did it. I didn't realize it was the antacids that gave it the power earlier. I always thought it was the blood. Right. It was both. My point is, we're here at the end. We need the nightshade, okay, it got the pills again, and we need the virgin blood. Who was that? Robert England? The hooker? No, it it doesn't need virgin blood. Virgin blood is what gives the other person immortality. It just needed the antacids. Do you need a flow chart? Yeah, no, we don't. We need to move on. So then we get some really, really shoddy animation. <laughs> As the mangler... It the, comes to life! This is, come on, Arnie, this is not funny. This is hysterical! This is just sad. No, this, this is sad. This is, this is sad that they try to do this. Pathetic is the word. This is really funny. The fact that it explodes and comes to life in this really, really embarrassing early, early CG. I have, on my first watching this time, is this is where it all clicked for me. And I am laughing out loud. I had told Marjorie the very first time I was watching this, I'm like, find something else to do. I'm watching a movie called The Mangler with Robert Englund. You don't want to be part of this. At the end, she's pissed. She's like, you sound like you were having a great time in there because there was a fucking washing machine that grew legs. Yeah, it chases them around down a staircase. I mean, even the Ed 209 <laughs> couldn't do what this thing is doing here. And I can't believe that this keeps going. I mean, why not just end it? Why did they keep filming? This is, uh, it's, uh, I'm just not sharing your appreciation for what they're attempting with this project, Arnie. I don't think it's entertaining at all. I think it's mind boggling. I can't believe that they're doing it. Where is this staircase going? Is this where the washing machine cult lives in the off hours? I was a little confused by the stairway descent down into nothingness. I was back at graveyard shift. How many sub-sub-basements are there? Right. I'm telling you, this is why I thought these were based off the same story. (laughs) I was expecting a brat to be meeting them when they get to the (laughs) river at the bottom, yes. No, instead it's a fire-breathing mangler. What stops it? Yeah, what does? It just stops for some reason. Like, why? Well, it got Sherry's finger. And Sherry then became its master. And, you know, a little bit of her was in it. A little bit of it was in her. And so we're supposed to think that the fall into the sewer killed it. But in fact, what I take away from it is it has a new master who's going to feed it virgins. It is, it doesn't need to chase after anymore. It can be a good pet once more. I mean, I don't know why she decided to sacrifice herself. It's not like she was saving a city 
you know, it's not like you're throwing yourself at a grenade. There's just two people running away, and one goes back and says, forget it, I'll just jump in the mangler. So if you accidentally stick your finger in there and it gets chopped off, like, you're automatically going to become evil? Like, you said it takes a little bit of your soul, but, like, after one chomp? And don't you have to sign some paperwork? Yes. There was a whole handprint and blood and whatever. It doesn't even matter. Well, I, I do need to discuss the very end scene. Because it seems like everybody's lived, everybody's okay, although this doctor shows that he has a missing finger, and a note from JJJ Photographer includes a letter that says, don't trust anyone with a piece missing, meaning anyone who's been missing a limb is in on this mangler cult. But then he goes back to Blue Ribbon Laundromat with some, like, purple flowers. First of all, the first sign that something's wrong is this place is still open. Yeah, I know. These people, these girls need to unionize, right? Get Norma Ray up in this bitch and <laughs> at least get some breaks or something. This is crazy. I wanted to know why he was bringing her flowers. She's 16. Yeah, he, he's, <laughs> is this the first time he's attempting to woo her after this whole incident? Like, he hasn't noticed that she's been missing a finger this whole time and that she's running the blue ribbon laundry. I didn't notice it. It seems really weird that like, this is the first time he comes to hit on her and finds out she's all evil. Yeah, I'm appalled the fact that she has been allowed to hold this job to begin with. A 15-year-old working these long hours. Hey, she had her 16th birthday. The whole thing was on her 16th birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. But my point is now she's going to run the show. I guess because she has the, the niece connection, she inherits the thing. So she does have the right to suddenly be balking orders from the catwalk. But honestly, if I were her co-workers, I wouldn't listen to a thing she had to say. Well, they must need the job. And so, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend The Mangler? Jacob. And I thought last week was bad. You know, you know, Arnie, when you were talking about Prime Directives, you said, you know, there's those action fans that could tolerate just guns shooting off for 90 minutes. And so they might enjoy those films. And I, I could see that if for some slasher fans. Maybe Graveyard Shift would work for you on that level. But this film is something entirely different. This is a you can't call it a comedy. I, I don't Mm-mm. think they're going for that. It's Mm-mm. it's a farce that doesn't understand what a farce is. If they're trying to poke fun at horror films, g- give that job to Mel Brooks. He would do, be able to do better farce than this as far as horror comedies go. Have you seen Dracula Dead and Loving It? I, I beg to differ. Oh, I have. <laughs> I'm, I'd watch that over this again, though. I mean, this film is just so... The whole premise, the the fact that I think they are trying, for the most part, to play this seriously. It's a ridiculous premise. I've, I've quoted Roger Ebert before, where he, he's made the point that, hey, there's no such thing as a, a bad story, just a bad execution of that story when it comes to filmmaking. I looked up to see if he reviewed this film. He didn't. But I, I think this may be an exception to that rule. This is just a ludicrous story. Unless you there's some way to make this satirical, you, you can't do this as a horror movie. This is embarrassing. I don't know who this was for, but it's a strong not recommend. Stuart. You hear that, Jacob? It's that damn cat. It's come for you for not recommending Cat's Eye. Yes, please give me Cat's Eye. It's going to rob your breath for you speaking ill about what is clearly a much higher caliber of horror movie than where we've fallen at this point. This is devastating. Arnie, I think the tone that they're reaching for here is child's play. And man, do I have a new appreciation for the killer doll genre. I thought it was ludicrous that a man would use voodoo to put himself into a doll and then kill people in it. Well, this one ups it by 20 here. I mean, this has gone to 11. This is 
off the farm. Embarrassing is a good word. I would not expect any adults, certainly adults that have made successful horror franchises, to be involved with this. This is the absurdity that children would make up on the playground. I cannot believe that this was made. I can't believe this was released. I can't believe there's two more to go. My honest question is, the only thing that is debatable at this point is, is this the worst Stephen King adaptation? I maligned poor Carrie 2002 and said it wasn't going to get any worse than this. And clearly, it got some competition from Stephen King's Shining miniseries. <laughs> but honestly, this, I think, is stealing the crown. The only advantage that this has to those two is that it's shorter. Those were miniseries. They were three and four and five hours long. Well, this, a painful 90 minutes, and then you're through it. But... When you consider the fact that this is a trilogy, when you consider the fact that I have to sit through Mangler 2 next week and Mangler Reborn next week, I think we've hit it. You said it was Graveyard Shift, Arnie, but no. I think we have hit the absolute bottom for Stephen King adaptations. In some total, I think Mangler might kill me. This is strongest not recommend. I can't think of a worse thing I've reviewed for now playing, quite honestly. that It doesn't get worse than this. A stain on everyone's record. Oh, disagree, disagree, disagree. First of all, I would rather watch this movie 100 times than watch Graveyard Shift again. Oh, you're so wrong. Because this movie had things going on constantly. There were characters moving in and out that I wasn't involved in their lives for reasons I didn't know. Basically, that entire first hour of Graveyard Shift was terrible and so dull, and this has no stretch that long. Now... I want to clarify a position of mine here, though. Because you two have been so anti-Mangler this whole time, I found myself in the unenviable position of defending it as best I could. And I need to clarify my categorization. I think it's called an apology. I understand that this is low-rent horror. I understand that this is honestly on par with direct-to-DVD. I'm shocked. I didn't even realize before sitting down to do this recording that it had a U.S. theatrical release. I did know it had international theatrical distribution, but I didn't know it was released here in the States and that people paid $2 million to go see it. I came into The Mangler with the far lowest of expectations. Coming off Graveyard Shift... And with Robert Englund, I mean, Zombie Strippers, Robert Englund, a movie that can't be bad but was, Zombie Strippers, with Jenna Jameson, I mean, just miserable. I came in expecting to repeat my Graveyard Shift experience. So imagine my joy, my sheer ecstasy, when I do realize this is an average episode of Friday the 13th, the series. Now, Friday the 13th, the series, was not genius television. Mm. I don't suggest buying a box set of it, nor do I think that it deserves a huge marathon Netflix watching a la Lost and Breaking Bad. But for what it is, it is fun low-rent horror, and I am a fan of fun low-rent horror. This appealed to parts of me that I hadn't indulged in a long time the part of me that stayed up watching freddy's nightmares the part of me that would read fangoria and go and see 
just the lowest run of horror and just have a good time. Is this a great movie? No. Is the acting in this good? Actually, I'm going to give some serious props to Ted Levine and Robert Englund for great performances in this. Robert Englund chews up the scenery. I know. Great. That's the word you want to use. Yeah. Kate Blanchett gets reamed by you, but this is a terrific performance. Okay. Robert Englund is chewing up the scenery in an entertaining way, and Ted Levine He's really got some great double takes as he's dealing with his relationship with Mark. I do think it would have been better if they were gay lovers, quite honestly. But I really liked what he had going in this movie. So for a couple good performances, I'm going to give this the weakest of recommends. Oh, Arnie. Wow, I'm stunned. I really, you've done something I couldn't believe possible. I mean, you have to understand the category I'm putting it in. This isn't for everyone. It's for no one. Yes. But if you like schlocky-ass horror, if you like beyond reanimator-type films, and I do, this movie, it actually deserves a watch for that crowd, and only for that crowd. But I'm in that crowd, and I'm recommending Mangler, and I'm so glad I am, because I thought I had three graveyard shifts in my future. I may have two more in Mangler 2 and 3. I mean, I'm giving it the weakest of recommends. That doesn't make me optimistic for the follow-up with Lance Hendrickson. Yeah, I can't even imagine where you go with this. My (laughs) sense is that they hook it up to the internet or something. I don't know what the next one is. I've seen just a little bit about it, but it looks like it goes all cyber or something. Yeah, the the DVD box talks about it being downloaded as a computer virus next. So it is no longer a washing machine, sadly, because I kind of went with the concept of a Curious Goods cursed item, Friday the 13th, the series kind of way. So, yep. There you go. I obviously disagree. This is the worst movie we've ever seen. I've given plenty of red arrows in my time, and this one's getting a green. Wow. I, I'm, I'm really stunned. I really thought there was no way that this wouldn't be a three red arrow easily. I had to give it a lot of thought. I really did. Or no thought. I think the less thought you give it, the, the easier <laughs> it is. I had to weigh the pros and cons of this a lot because it's not a great movie, but it's a fun one for a specific niche audience. And, and it's not a so bad it's good. It's just it's bad, but it's still kind of fun. Okay, I'm glad you'll at least admit that. It is not that it's so bad that it's good. You're not laughing at it any more than you're laughing with it. It's absurdity that seems oblivious to its own absurdity. It's, it is unique. I'll give you that. But an experience I would not push off on anyone else. And one I don't want to relive. Certainly not two more times. But I shall... So meanwhile, if you want to hear my review of the original short story and see if I am as kind to it as I was the theatrical adaptation, head to booksandnachos.com where I'm continuing my Stephen King retrospective, looking at all his written works, doing the ones we're covering as well as the ones we aren't. So until next time, there's a little bit of you in this podcast and a little bit of this podcast in you. He's going to kill me. I know it. He'll feed me to the machine. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Once again, the internet is my friend. Come to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another film based on the works of Stephen King. 
So for hours and hours of unheard evil, download now. Also, visit our sister podcast at booksandnachos.com where you can hear Arnie's reviews of the original books and short stories on which these films are based. The answer is in that book. Just go for it. You can hear more movie reviews at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. In our archive section, you can find our reviews of the Friday the 13th series, A Nightmare on Elm Street series, the Transformers films, Star Trek, The Avengers, Rambo, Rocky, and more. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. It's what you and everyone your age really needs. While at nowplayingpodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this review with other listeners. Why don't we just go over there and talk to her? Do it for me. Come on. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. Welcome to the club. The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. <laughs> that sounds like a whole lot of fun to me. Oh yeah, oh boy. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Cash will work. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Payment in full. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, totes, boxers, mouse pads, and much more. Tell me what you want, what you really, really want. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Lay it on me. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Seems very simple. Yes, actually. Now Playing's Mangler Retrospective Series is edited by Arnie. Life's a bitch. Then you die. Get him back to work. Yes, sir. We're behind schedule as it is, goddammit. Yes. I got deadlines, George. Never enough time around here, never. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. I can feel you talking to me right now. The film discussed in this podcast is the property of its original copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Now Playing Podcast is not affiliated with the makers or distributors of these films. Alex, they can't trace it back to me. Buried my covert work with encryption software so deep the FBI couldn't even crack it. And just in case they ever did, I used an anonymous proxy to hide my true eyes. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. This is bullshit, Mark. Reality? Bullshit. Bullshit. Reality. This is bullshit. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. First there is God, then there's country, and then there's the law. There's a little bit of me in that machine, and a little bit of it, and me. Yelling at floor manager. How the hell did I do this? I didn't put the person's name. I put floor manager, store manager. <laughs> Gartley? <laughs> or no, that's the boss. George, George, George Stanner, right? That's it, yeah. yeah. All right, let me fix my notes. Or Warwick. You, you can just replace it with that. <laughs>
the new girl, Lynn, not Lynn Shea, <laughs> when the new girl. <laughs> funnier. She, yeah. And we will be back next week with The Mangler 2. Until then, see you on the night shift? or I'm looking at my other ones. I'm going to um... wash this film right out of my hair. <laughs> so we'll talk to you next time. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, find a quote in this. I have like two dozen. I'm just trying to find one for sure. this. I, I could do all one. of my... I could do the entire credits for The Mangler just off this movie. Um, Is The Mangler getting its own set of credits? Yeah, absolutely. God, this doesn't deserve anything, but all right. Hmm. But none is a good uh, closing line. Let me let me briefly see if anybody put quotes on IMDb on this, and then I'll just give up. So, guys, I have to go. I got to do a little dance. I'll do a little jig for you, Sherry. That's the one quote I had written down. <laughs> You're gonna keep the, saying that? Yeah, I can do that. I guess. Or, until next time, I think we may be fucked. That's appropriate. (laughs) Yeah, I I can endorse it. I don't remember it, but I agree. All right. Maybe I'll redo the last line next week, but or two weeks from now, but we're done. (laughs) So until next time, there's a little bit of you in this podcast, and a little bit of this podcast in you. It's kind of a little bit Robert England, a little bit Casey Kasem. (laughs) 